and welcome to another episode of Unauthorized Absence. It is episode eight, and this is actually going to be our last post for a couple of weeks. I am going to give myself a little bit of a holiday break, uh, head home, hang out with my family, hopefully do nothing for a few weeks. Um, and we will be back in January with lots of more exciting guests for you. But today, I am really excited to introduce you to Shauna Foster. Hey, Shauna. Welcome to the show. Hey, Amber. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Um, so I've met Shauna earlier this year, officially in August, um, unofficially online sometime before that, uh, through About Face, Iraq Veterans Against War, formerly known as, and have just come to learn so much about Shauna and her background and her amazing way of working with adults and children, um, you know, with a social justice oriented lens on everything. And I just thought that um, given her background and what she currently does, that she'd be a really great guest for this holiday season. So hopefully that wasn't too much of a <laughs> um, big setup there for you. Oh, thank you. Thanks for <laughs> Welcome me to your show. Yeah. Um, so, Shana, go ahead and tell our guest about yourself and what matters to you. Yeah, so I'm a um, Unitarian Universalist minister serving a congregation in Carbondale, Colorado. And I became a member of About Face Veterans Against the War in 2006 because I was a nuclear biological chemical specialist for the Nebraska Army National Guard and we just weren't deploying. Yeah. I graduated from chemical school in 2003, and people were like, oh, you know, our unit's getting called up, we're going over, and I was like, yes, I'm ready to go, and we never went. And then they said, oh, well, we want you all to become truck drivers now. <laughs> to do what? Truck drivers? Why are we, you know, like the NBC school, I mean, everybody has pride in their profession, right? But right. we trained they put our basic and AIT together so that we would have six months at once at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. And it's a school where you get exposed to live sarin gas in order mm -hmm. to prove that your stuff is working. So there's like a lot of danger that goes into being an NBC recon and all the things that you have to do uh, to move ahead of the operating line to find chemical weapons like mm -hmm. the happy job in the military, probably. And then for them to go, well, you're going to be truck drivers now. It was just felt so I couldn't really understand it. And then this uh, author, Thomas Ricks, who's a Washington Post investigative journalist, wrote this book called Fiasco that said, yeah. gave a lot of evidence that not only did the Bush administration um, you know, know that there were no weapons of mass destruction, but that they set up Colin Powell to lie about it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I have like eight copies of that in my <laughs> office. I might actually have to read one of them. <laughs> <laughs> you should. It's just pretty damning evidence as to that's what happened. And so for myself, uh, reading that book going, oh, well, this is, this is why, this is why we're not going anywhere. This yeah. is why we're truck drivers now, because the civilians in the presidential administration really um, did not work well with the Department of Defense. And so, you know, when that realization happened, everything just started to unravel. And I thought, mm -hmm. I really got to get out. And that's when I contacted Iraq Veterans Against the War. Mm -hmm. And 
that they would give me legal help. And I have been organizing with them ever since. So it's 12 years of organizing. So did you get out as a conscientious objector then? No, I just did what um, George Bush did. He was in the <laughs> Air Guard and he, he didn't want to go to Vietnam. I right. don't know if he didn't want to go because of anti-war sentiments or what exactly. Probably not. Exactly said, but he just stopped coming to drill. And if you're in the National Guard, you can just stop coming to drill. Um, what happens to you, now get a lawyer, you know, call the GI rights hotline. Yeah. But what happens to you is that the, if you're not under federal deployment orders, then when you leave the National Guard, the National Guard's only mechanism is to, if you have any stuff issued out to you and it's not returned, then they can, you know, try to get that money back for their equipment. And yeah. if they don't get their money back, then they ruin your credit report. And oh, so wow. I had a battle buddy of mine return all of my stuff. And the supply sergeant there was kind of like, okay, great. <laughs> he just wanted his stuff back. And so, um, you know, there's other things they could do. They, they could find me. They could have brought me back or I don't know, but I never called to be like, Hey, I'm leaving. I just stopped going. And I think that's a, a lot of people end up leaving the national guard that way. I think it's an other than honorable discharge for the guard point of view, but I still have an honorable discharge from the military because my active duty was basic training in AIT. Yeah. And I was honorably discharged from that duty. So I don't have anything on my record. Hmm. Um, I don't think, I don't know. I've never really called and been like, Hey, so how's this, um, how's this working out for you all? And it certainly hasn't stopped you from being a good contributing citizen to our society in the last 12 years either. Well, I, I hope it really um, helps people understand what it means to be a good contributing member of society because yeah. I feel like those, the whole Iraq war and the orders to them were illegal orders. Yeah, uh, that just because the United States is not held to the, um, the the conventions that would put George W. Bush on trial if he were the president of any other nation, um, mm -hmm. doesn't mean that I can obey un unlawful orders like that. So, yeah. yeah, so that was happening in the midst of what I was doing for um, social justice that came through Unitarian Universalism. Okay. Were you already um, involved in social justice at the time or when you joined the military or how did that come to be a part of your life? Yeah. So I, the, the thing is, is that my, my religion of Unitarian Universalism, mm -hmm. I could tell when I joined the religion that there were strong, um, like anti-military sentiments and okay. people felt bad about it as me being a member of the military. Like I remember one person on the social justice committee saying that she didn't think I belonged on the social justice committee because I had joined the military. So didn't I agree to murder people? Wow. And so I was just kind of like, no, I didn't join anything that said I would murder people. My parents were in the military. I grew up yeah. under strategic air command where their tagline was, um, you know, peace is our profession. I, I really thought I was doing the right thing. Um, and the congregation in particular I had went over was rumored to have split over Vietnam. And the one I stayed in was the one that said, we're not going to betray our military by being against Vietnam. And then there was another congregation that said, no, Nam is wrong. And anybody who enlists and doesn't actively resist it okay. is, 
is not a good person. So that was kind of the, the denominational influence where they were trying to be welcoming to me overall, but there was this history of being anti-war that was, I think, hard for them. But I, you know, I joined the congregation in 2003 or 2002. Um, okay. And so I didn't really feel rejected and I didn't feel like anybody in the congregation was like, listen, if you want to be a moral person, you really have to quit. Like there was that one lady who, who accused me of, um, you know, wanting to murder people, but nobody said our religious values call upon you to do, to do this. It was more, I was underneath this illusion that the people in power were doing everything right for this country. And I needed to trust and enlist in that. And then once that, illusion started to be shattered that's when I realized that um that lady even though she was trying to hold me responsible for the global war on terror was closer to (laughs) as an individual right exactly yeah I feel like um she was she um really knew something but I guess she just didn't really know how to um organize people about how how to confront power instead of blaming the person who has the least amount of power in the system to do something about it. But how do we, how do we come together and confront power? Um, But at the same time, when I joined the congregation, I was the chair, I became the chair of the social justice committee. Mm -hmm. So I was doing lots of other activism for the congregation. Like I was the multi-faith chair for Habitat for Humanity. I worked with, there's, you know, there's faith organizing groups like the Industrial Areas Foundation organizes. What's that? um, the Industrial Areas Foundation is a, um, it was founded by Saul Linsky, uh, who was a civil rights um, organizer, and he has a particular view of power, and he founded this school uh, called the Industrial Areas Foundation, and what they do is they create um, mass organizations. So you don't join it as one person as a member, but you as a member of like About Face or a member mm-hmm. of union or a member of some other group that whole organization joins that meta organization because he believed that it was the whole community as institutionally coming together that could confront the institution of our government Mm -hmm. uh, in order to change so a lot of congregations get involved in congregational based organizing in this way because industrial areas foundation comes in so you know i would say to anybody who's organizing check out and see if the conger- if congregations nearby are part of um, an industrial areas foundation group, mm-hmm. or um, especially Unitarian Universalists, if you're listening to this and you think, oh, there's a UU church nearby, like check out and see what they're doing on anti-war these days. And right. a lot of people who um, were part of the peace movement during Vietnam who are still members of those congregations, and they would probably you know, be willing to help you out in some way to at least space for your meeting or something like that. So um, for myself personally, um, I was doing a lot of social justice things in the um, Unitarian Universalist uh, congregation. Mm -hmm. And and then I left the military and I felt like, oh, I really can't tell anybody in the congregation that I've like done this. Like everything has to be left or that you had been in at all. No, they knew I had been in it, but okay, I didn't yeah. tell them that I had left. I felt like everything about it was had to be on the down low, right? Because all the people who accepted me because I was in 
the military would hate me. And then all the peace movement people already hated me. So it seemed like really no place for me to exist. And it wasn't the congregation specifically. That's, they were a reflection of society. You know, if you you join the military to the peace movement, historically, that was a betrayal. That was signing up for murder. And if you join the military and decide it's problematic and you leave, then you weren't faithful enough. You didn't believe in the mission. You thought it was too hard. You're a coward. So I feel like for us to be members of About Face, especially Mm -hmm. in those early years, that was the only place I could exist. I mean, what contradiction of a person do you have to be to be an anti-war veteran? Right? (laughs) How does that even happen to people? Society does not accept it very well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a whole lot of nuance that most people just kind of blink their eyes at and are like, what? Like Kelly Doherty and I, this past Veterans Day, we're out, Mm -hmm. which is a very conservative part of Colorado to march in the Veterans Day parade. And you all had a beautiful banner. Yes, we had this great banner and people ahead of us, uh, there was a sign that this peace group was holding saying, you know, the 100th anniversary of Armistice Day. People saw that and they started clapping. And then, and Kelly and I have this huge sign. It's like a sail. I mean, it, it was two, it was like a two, it was, it was big enough to cover my driveway. And so <laughs> when, we were, when we had it up, it covered both lanes of the street and it said, veterans say no to endless war. Mm-hmm. And that's all it said. And so Kelly and I were holding it, wearing our veteran stuff, to be clear. We were the veterans. We were not supporters of veterans, but we were the veterans ourselves saying this. Yep. Um, and we, we were passing out um, candy that had a flyer on it so that people could understand what it was. And the applause died. Oh, wow. People, I've never silenced a parade before, but people just kind of looked really nervous and shifty and they didn't know what to say it just so interrupted their normal day-to-day this is what it means to be patriotic and we were there as veterans saying no you people who support the military you are allowing for the biggest squandering of the military in history by having these wars continue on endlessly and and it's your responsibility civilians because you know Military people can't unionize. So we really need civilians to be engaged in our government to say, we don't want to spend so much money on war. And we, and we need civilians to be aware that, oh my gosh, this 55% of the discretionary budget that I thought was going towards like benefits to support our military Mm -hmm. is actually going to private contractors, the majority of it. Mm-hmm. And even the services that veterans need are becoming privatized to private contractors. So all this money and all this support for my military is actually just being swindled away from me. We need more civilians to say that, to say, to look at the recent audit of the Pentagon, where there's like some $21 trillion missing. Yeah, plus another $2 billion in wasted GI Bill benefits that I was just looking at when you called. So yeah. To, to see that and go, oh, we don't like how the current administration is taking his cronies and having them run the VA into the ground mm-hmm. so that the people will say, oh, my gosh, this institution that was supposed to serve our veterans has failed. We need it to be privatized. Like, we need citizens to turn that flag-waving support 
that they do at parades and the thank you to, for your service and actually look at where the money is going because it's not going towards veterans and it's really not going towards the people that we help. It's just this huge cash cow. Yeah. And I feel like whether you're for or against the wars, like that is something that we could talk about all day. <laughs> but anybody should look at all the money that is being wasted on the military yeah. industrial complex and say, that is too much. Yeah. But you guys, so, we, we got to recognize the contradiction in the people at that parade that they, they want peace. They want us to not be at war, but they also want this image of the patriotic veteran for them to kind of latch on to. Right. Like Kelly and I sacrifice so much for their freedoms. And it's like, no, we're we're done sacrificing for your freedom to be ignorant. What is going on? And you are (laughs) going to have to face this, this inertia. Um, Yeah. So uh, so theologically, I feel like that's um, what prophets have always done. Um, You you look at at spiritual matters. That's what I feel the role of religion is, is to say, you know, what what you find comfortable. If it is at the misery of others, then it is not just and it is not a valid way of being and that we are called to be better than this existence. Um, And so I feel like that's a common thread in all religions, which is why I decided to become a minister, because, you know, if you look in American history, especially like the first nonprofits, the first people to realize that we could do things better were religious institutions and religious peoples to call us to be better. Okay. I know that a lot of people don't like religion because it silences your mind and it and it quells questioning, and it um, forces people to go along and do bad things for the sake of a belief, right? And I think all that criticism is valid. Right. And at the same time, I think that if religion is done well, then, you know, you have things like the first humane society, the first orphanages, the first anti-war movement comes Mm -hmm. from a religious recognition that we don't have to be fighting each other anymore. And that is not our ultimate purpose or destiny in life. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure there's many people who can point to religious um, saying blessings of like, well, God is on our side in this war, but there's also, I think far more religious people that don't get shown as much as the people who want to make war, but people who are saying we should never have to go to war for this. This is not what um, people were placed on earth to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's uh, something that's overlooked in religion, but I feel like that's where the prophetic edge comes from. The destiny comes from the, the edge of society that is always envisioning us where we can be. I, and that's why I decided to become a minister myself. What year did you become a minister? I started seminary in 2010. Okay. So I was, you know, in the thick of it, of um, doing stuff for About Face and, and starting seminary. Like, uh, I remember I got invited to a graduation graduation uh, for seminary in Chicago because that's where my seminary is. And that was also the same um, time that I marched in the NATO protest when we had tens of thousands of people turn out in Chicago mm-hmm. to watch us march through the streets And I thought we were leading a parade, but no, it turned out it was just us and only us (laughs) (laughs) marching through the streets of Chicago to go up to a platform um, and throw our medals back to NATO. How many people were there? There was tens of thousands of people in Chicago. 
like the Iraq Veterans Against War contingent? There was like 40 to 60 of us. Oh, who, nice. Um, we're all marching down the streets in our fatigues. And, um, you know, I got up on stage and I was like, I was a nuclear biological chemical specialist for a war that had no weapons of mass destruction. Mm-hmm. And, and that's pretty much all I said. <laughs> that's all I, you really... That's all I, well, I had strep throat, but that's all you really needed to say. That was the, yeah. the thing I needed to get out to people is that the whole purpose of me joining the military and willing to risk my life and fight for our freedoms was based on lies. And mm-hmm. it was based on the idea, you know, I got a global war on terror medal, even though I never deployed. When I asked why I got the medal, they were like, well, it's because terror is everywhere. <laughs> So it didn't matter. Wow. If I didn't deploy. I still got a medal because in Omaha, Nebraska, terror was there too. And I oh, wow. <laughs> done something. Um, and I just feel like that terrorism, the only way it works is if you overreact. And that's definitely what the United States did. We overreacted yeah. big time by invading Afghanistan and then invading, invading Iraq. Um, and we, we really did not need to overreact. We are the bigger person. So, so theologically, I feel like my, my experience um, has really helped me define what I think, uh, how, how, how we can be morally better. Mm-hmm. So one, the one thing I think we need to um, do as a, as a nation is to stop victim blaming, right? Like, why are we blaming the Taliban for this global war on terror because they caused September 11th, right? But obviously we're the far bigger country that has a lot more resources, that has been doing a lot more politically than the Taliban, which started as a teacher's movement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, know the Taliban did, yeah, which in the Taliban in Afghanistan because um, what we didn't talk about was our own failed foreign policy for the Afghani people. That during yeah. the Cold War, we had so many different proxy wars and one of them we fought was in Afghanistan. And so our CIA trained Osama bin Laden mm-hmm. because we have this buddy, buddy relationship with the Saudi Royal family and Osama yeah. bin Laden is part of that family. And so we trained him to fight the Russians. And then after we were done, we were like, Oh uh, no, we're not going to help you. We're not going to give your people the food they need to not starve or build the infrastructure or do anything. We're leaving. And so we have done that all over the world. And then we're like, oh my gosh, terrorism? People hate us, but why? And it's like, no, you did. You started it, dummy. <laughs> you did it. And I feel like the situation in Honduras, it's, it's the same thing. We're yeah. undermined them for a banana company. And then we sponsored a coup recently. The Secretary of State sponsored a coup because it was more business friendly. Mm-hmm. And then we're surprised, you know, then the people want to be, oh my gosh, there's thousands of people who want to immigrate here. Why? What's the matter? And so there's like this amnesia that we want to have to, to blame the victim to say it's the Afghani people's problem that the global war on terror happened and that it's a Honduran people that they can't keep their country straight without and being totally um you know ignorant of what we have been doing and then also to deny our own power this this is this is the bullying behavior we 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 go out and we cause all these problems and then when 
those problems come back to us, you know, what a bully does is cry and say, well, I didn't know, <laughs> you know, and, and they're so sorry, but really they, they know we, our political apparatus knows what it's doing when, when yeah. it creates problems or contributes to uh, climate change. We know that there's going to be climate refugees um, and the move to might makes right and to fascism that's happening is to protect the ultra wealthy. They think they can survive it. And they're just going to let all of us die because they don't really need our, our labor anymore. But we, we really need to think about um, how we as a population blame people who are the least powerful for the entire problem. Mm-hmm. And instead, we need to come together as a group and say, no, there's only like 30 people responsible for the military industrial complex. There's only like 30 people responsible for global warming. And they are making their profit at our expense and at our death. Yeah. We need to come together and stop fighting each other and say, well, it's your fault you didn't buy an electric car. And turn (laughs) turn that moralism onto the people who are actually making the decision and who are in charge and who actually have the power to change it. Who can actually say, nope, we're not going to keep on sending troops um, to Afghanistan and Iraq, we're going to actually let the self-determination of the Iraqi and Afghani people take over and support at their lead what they need to have happen. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, we, we're going to take that power and invest it in a green infrastructure so we don't need to destroy the environment to get our energy and we can give people jobs. Like People have the power to do this. And what we're living in our times right now is a power consolidation to the top probably so that they will have enough power to, you know, survive global warming. Um, So I feel like that's one thing is that we need to stop um, victim blaming. And then on the other hand, stop playing the victim, stop saying, well, I don't know why these refugees are here or that this war will never end, or I don't know what's going on. Like that (laughs) ignorance needs to stop um, and to be able to hold people accountable. And I find a lot of, um, you know, theological and, and religious reversals in that. Like, yeah. uh, it seems like we've forgotten that most um, basic principle of turn the other cheek and offer the other one. Is that what? Yeah, I mean, I would say that pacifism, I'm not a pacifist. And that's another reason <laughs> why I'm in about face veterans against the war rather than like veterans for peace, because yeah. I think it's fine. But I feel like pacifism as fundamentalism is not great. What I am for, what I think most religious texts talk about is de-escalation. Mm. Like, but the turning the other cheek that Jesus did was so that he would be not to be slapped a thousand times until the oppressor learns to be better. That's not what that was about. That's it what was, a lot of people are asking us to do with kind of that both sidesism. Yeah, no, that's not what Jesus was saying. There was a certain way that you slapped a slave like with the back of the hand. Yeah. If you presented them your cheek, then you were asking to be slapped as an equal. And so it was like this, this re- role reversal where a slave is like, okay, if you're going to demean me, then demean me as a full person, not as your slave. Oh. And, so, and so that was what Jesus's um, turn the other cheek is all about. And so I think there's a difference between pacifism and de-escalation and a de-escalation of violence to break the cycles of viciousness, you know, instead of having 
like I grew up during the Cold War and this mutually assured destruction. If I have more nukes, then I have more nukes and then I have more nukes. You know, it's just (laughs) this vicious cycle that didn't work, but a de-escalation is say, like, you know, it doesn't matter if I have 10,000 warheads and you have 20,000 warheads when 10 will kill everyone. You know, and so let's let's go ahead and disarm these stockpiles and get down to where we wouldn't have a de- want to use deterrence against each other anymore as a way to maintain peace that's so threatening um, and, and come up with a different way to de-escalate and break these cycles of violence. And that's that's what I feel like I believe in religiously. And that applies to what I think we should be doing um, foreign policy-wise. And I feel like when you invest in civil society, mm-hmm. like if you invest in uh, a police system and in security and, and safety that is defined by the people, then that de-escalates it so that you don't have these awful grievances that lead to war. And there's organizations, non-governmental organizations that have been working, that have been successful and, and people's grassroots movements that have been successful in providing this basic security and a way to address wrongs so that things do not escalate into war. Mm-hmm. How I'm thinking, you know, that, that we're going to post this right before the holiday weekend starts. How can people who, you know, have different, who may think more like you and I and their families think more, you know, like war is okay because it's protecting us. How can they, talk about this using the church or using the Bible most effectively? Um, Well, I think that you really have to understand the values of the person that you're talking to and then go with those values to see if what is happening is also what they really want. Mm -hmm. Um, This is on a, this is assumes that the other person that you're talking to um, is somebody that you want that has good faith and, and has, you know, um, good reasoning capacity. Like if you're talking to your crazy uncle that is, you know, prepping for the apocalypse, this won't work with him because he's not living on the same plane of reality as everyone else. Right. But if you're just trying to have a better relationship with your relatives and you want to be who you are, which is somebody who believes that these, these, um, wars are wrong and you want to live in peace with people who are patriotic. Um, for example, that's a value. I think yeah. that's one of the easiest ways to talk to people and be like, yeah, you know, I, I believe in the troops too. And I was, you know, I support the military and it's just such a crime how they're not getting their VA benefits. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a crime that, um, you know, that since the Afghan and Iraq war started, that there always seems to be plenty of money to have private contractors for that war, but not enough money for the VA. And I think that, um, that's awful. And I really wish that we had the chance to be a true patriot by sending people into war thoughtfully and intentionally and when only when needed to de-escalate the situation, but not an endless war of 17 years. Mm-hmm. You know, so patriotism, I actually feel like, is a very easy value to to unite with and say, this is what we've, what we've got to do in order to to really be patriotic. Um, I think that um, on a religious basis, that one's really touchy because people have lots of different religions and a lot of different justifications, and um, it it can be hard to know what type of religion that they're using in order to justify war because 
I feel I come from a background. Um, Unitarian Universalism is the one that uses reason for divine revelation and understanding, which means we went back and read the Bible and did not find the Trinity in it. And so we were like, there's no reasonable basis for the Trinity. It's something the church fathers made up to mm. solve the problem of the divinity of Jesus. And when they did that, they kind of broke us apart. And so we want to be unified and say that God is unified and we are unified with God because that's what we read in the Bible. I find a lot of people who are pro-war and use the Bible actually are very cherry-picking the Bible. Um, Because like Pope Francis made this um, actually observation that if you were to take all the parts of the Bible that were applicable to culture wars, you know, abortion, homosexuality, those kinds of things, it would make up about a half a page of text. But if you took out all the things about the Bible, about how to live, properly financially yeah then you would have 50 pages of text because there's all these things in the bible about how every 50 years we should have a jubilee year and forgive all debts (laughs) i wish (laughs) right every seven years you should free your slaves and let them go free and forgive the debts of other people like there's all religions i think by and large focus on peace and how, how can we make peace And the parts that are about war are, you know, dealing with reality, but in a way that they wish they could have made more peaceful um, through some miracles or divine intervention. Like when Muhammad, um, you know, was able to go into Mecca and he didn't have to hurt anyone. That was a peaceful revolution. And I think that's what most religions are aspiring to is a change of the heart to be connected to the ultimate divine that says there really is no set things that separate separate us. So there is no nothing that can really, there's no reason why we should harm each other because to harm you would be to harm myself. And I think that's what all religions are, are trying to aspire to. But I think you can use religion just like you can use any institution of like politics or science or education to do the worst part of it because that's the problem of power. And so when we try to take religion's purpose to diffuse power and give to the divinity to each person, mm-hmm. you have a different way of approaching life instead of a power consolidation. Um, and I think that's something that hopefully every democratic institution should be trying to do is to, is to diffuse power. Um, and that's why I belong to Unitarian Universalism, because we recognize operating democ- democratically diffused the divine and, and gave it to many people. And right. that's, why, that's a, like a religious principle for us. So good luck talking to those relatives. I think, <laughs> I think more than um, trying to find a specific argument that'll work because of who they are, you just really have to listen to what their values are, why they chose that religion in the first place. A lot of people become fundamentalists because they're afraid and they're in pain. And that belief something telling them what to think um, is very comforting for them. And so I like when you have opposing viewpoints or somebody that is harboring a very antisocial and destructive theology or policy, really what they're doing is that protects their pain. So how, how can you kind of like joining the military? Yeah. Right. How, How can you, how can you relate to them in a way that brings their health? And yeah, like, recruiters are amazing at finding out what causes you pain and telling you that 
joining the military will solve that, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know we only have a couple more minutes together today. Um, What, with, with everything going on in our society right now, what message are you bringing to your congregation this holiday season? Um, I've been talking a lot to my congregation about um, that we really have got to understand power. And um, I feel like the prop, because my, my, my association, Unitarian Universalism, is full of liberals, mainly liberal. We call mm-hmm. ourselves a liberal religion because we give ourselves the freedom to believe what is true to us. Whether you believe or don't believe in God, that's not the question. It's it's more what what do you believe that you know creates your ultimate life meaning and, and purpose. Okay. But I feel like that liberalism, both politically and theology, theologically, is devoid of power. You know, it doesn't really talk about how. Um, how certain people are at the top and how they got there and how we Mm -hmm. protect that and how we are complicit in oppression of other people and even ourselves. Okay. And so that is what I'm trying to talk to people about in a variety of different situations. Uh, How can we, um, you know, if you're a white liberal mid upper class person, like I have come to be, um, even though I was born in a trailer park, but how we can be, how we can recognize the power in our own, in our own situation and, and how that being complicit um, allows that power to harm other people. Mm-hmm. But then also who is in, in power above us and how did they get there? And uh, do, if we copy what they want us to copy, is that, you know, achieving the subconscious value of gaining more power or is it really hurting us? And how can we, have a different message for those who are making decisions to make decisions for the majority of us. I feel like we're living in a time when the majority of people are actually quite united on a number of progressive things we want to have happen. Yeah. Most people want immigration reform. Most people want single payer healthcare. Most people want to end this war that has gone, that is the longest running war in the United States. Yep. That's, that's, you know, between 70, 80% of the American public are there. So when you have a political and economic machine that doesn't re- represent the values that most people want, doesn't, isn't changing what most people have wanted to change for the last decade, then it's broken on purpose. And we have got to figure out who broke it, you know, well, I think right. I know who broke it, right? <laughs> and, and make it work for the majority of people again. And so that's yeah. what I'm calling to people is it's that we're not really living in a time of division. Of between Trump and Obama voters, I feel like there's a lot of Trump Obama voters um, because people are so desperate looking for change. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're living in a time where we're really confronting what has caused our political system to be broken, and we're really uniting around the majority of us are uniting around solutions that would make sense. And what we've got to work on is gaining the power to put those solutions into place to make people aware and to build our power base to say, you can't just rule against the majority of the people for so long. Yeah. You've got to rule for, for the majority of people, not the economic interests, not the political interests, but remember that the body politic are the people who make this country and make this world work. And you've got to be um, you know, sharing your power more instead of consolidating power to the very top because that's who's paying for the lobbying. So that's, that's kind of the, 
I guess, religious political message <laughs> that I'm trying to talk to my people about is to yeah. recognize the power they have in their own lives and how power works. Because I think liberalism is what you get when you, when you have no understanding of power and you just want to be optimistic about how things can work. And that's mm. the majority of the people that I'm trying to talk to. Yeah. Are any of your sermons available online or get live streamed? Yes, I have a podcast myself. It's not nice. as good as this one. <laughs> it's just me talking. Um, and so if you, um, the podcast is called Rev, R-E-V. But if you just look up Shauna Foster on any podcasting service, the Rev. It'll show up. Nice. I will also make sure to link it in the show notes for everyone. So Shauna, I may have you come back next year sometime to talk about teaching kids, but this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. Sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And I hope you have a wonderful holiday. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Bye.